Well, good morning. This fall, we've been looking at the Gospels together, at the life of Jesus. And we've spent some time uh, looking at some amazing stories that show Jesus as healer. How healing was one of the ways that Jesus served people. He came to those that were not well. But the Gospels also show us that Jesus served people by teaching them. Jesus, as teacher, is the word that became flesh and entered into the brokenness and pain of the world and gave words of life and hope to needy people like you and me. Jesus, as teacher, interacts with uh, Scripture of the Old Testament. He tells amazing stories that we call parables. Uh, He teaches with power and authority about God's kingdom and God himself. Truly, I say to you, are authoritative words that often introduce Jesus' teachings that lead and help us in our lives. So today we are going to begin looking at this theme of Jesus as teacher, which we will continue for the next five weeks. And we're going to start by reading one of the early teachings that Luke records in his gospel of Jesus. So let me read for you from Luke 4, 14 through 30. You can follow along in your order of worship or in your Bible, or just listen as I read. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. But Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that your spirit that anointed Jesus to proclaim the good news is promised to us as well. And as we hear your word, your spirit can challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, and remind us all of the good news of what Jesus did and who he is. May that be true as we hear your word now. In your name, amen. 
Well, I remember as a kid, I was captivated by an ad that would run in the back page of many of the comic books that I would read. The ad was from a company called Lucky Products Incorporated. And in it, it showed a bunch of toy soldiers for sale, a hundred to be exact, that came in an army footlocker toy storage box for $1.75. I had to get these soldiers. I had to save up my allowance to get, as this ad promised, durable plastic soldiers, each with its own base. Well, I remember filling out the form and giving my money to Lucky Products and waiting the six weeks that it said it would take for this amazing soldier set to arrive. Well, the day finally came, and I remember seeing the box that the soldiers came in, and I was a little surprised. I wondered if they were planning to send me one soldier at a time. The box was only about this big, and it didn't make sense to me. But I opened the box, and to my surprise, all 100 soldiers fit in that box. I was crushed. I was let down. I mean, this is what I spent my $1.75 on? This is not what the ad made me believe I was getting. This week, I I googled 100-piece toy soldiers sold in the 70s to see if my memory was correct on the price and what it looked like. And I not only found the actual ad that I remember, the back of my comic books, but I came across a few websites that talked about the problem with these soldiers. Here's what one person said. While the sets gave off a larger-than-life vibe in the ads, the reality was far from different. Figures and vehicles were decidedly two-dimensional, each piece brittle, prone to falling over, much to the chagrin of kids who eagerly waited by their mailbox for their footlocker to arrive. That was me, 100%. The sets gave off this larger-than-life vibe, but the reality was far different. My perception of what I was offered was wrong, and my expectations of what I was going to get were not met. And to me, this is an illustration of what is going on here in this synagogue with these people listening to Jesus in Luke 4. There was an expectation of what Jesus was offering that was wrong, and it caused a misunderstanding by the crowd. There was a perception of who Jesus was and what he was teaching that was wrong, and it definitely caused a great change in the crowd's mood. I mean, think about what I just read for you in Luke. We have this crowd of people that grew up knowing Jesus. They were with Jesus and probably even respected Jesus. And the crowd goes from being excited about Jesus and speaking well of Jesus and marveling at the gracious words of Jesus to wanting to throw Jesus down a cliff and kill him. Why? What happened? Well, the expectations of who Jesus was by those in the synagogue were not met, and it made them very angry. To them, Jesus did give off a larger-than-life vibe, but the reality of his message and purpose was missed by them, and so they wanted nothing to do with him. We will see in this synagogue crowd that they were impressed with Jesus' speaking. They were hopeful of his message, but in the end, they don't really believe who Jesus is, and they don't understand what he came to do. This is something we're going to see again and again in this sermon series on Jesus as teacher. People misunderstand what he is saying all the time. And if we're honest, my opening illustration about expectations not being met isn't just something found with toy soldiers, isn't just something found with the people in the synagogue. It's found in our lives as well. When the reality of what Jesus offers us is different than our expectations, 
we feel let down. But here's the thing, and this is where my illustration breaks down. What the ad in my comic was offering was not great. I should have known $1.75 for 100 army men from a company that advertised on the back of a comic is probably not something to be trusted or something that's going to give you amazing, awesome toys. But what Jesus is offering, though misunderstood by the crowd, is absolutely amazing and wonderful for us. What Jesus teaches in the synagogue and what Jesus is teaching you and me today is so wonderful and so beautiful in regards to who Jesus is and what he came to do. So yes, today we are going to see the rejection of some people of Jesus' teaching, but as well we're going to see the beauty and the amazing reality of what is offered by Jesus as he starts his public ministry in the Gospel of Luke, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Our passage today begins with Luke sharing with us that Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, was traveling around various synagogues, being glorified because of his teaching. Verses 14 and 15 is a transition into Jesus' teaching ministry from what has happened in the previous section in Luke, which records his baptism at the Jordan River, his confirmation to proclaim the good news of the gospel, and then his temptation for 40 days in the wilderness with Satan. You can read all about that in chapter 3 in the beginning of chapter 4. But now Jesus is back in his hometown where he's been brought up. And it says, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day to worship God. Jesus grew up going to the synagogue, worshiping his heavenly father with those people in Nazareth. Now a synagogue service would have some prayers. There would be the reciting of the Shema that's found in Deuteronomy. There would be a reading from the Torah, and then someone would read from the prophets and then give a brief message or sermon about the passage that was just read. So on this day, the leader of the local synagogue must have asked Jesus to do the reading and reflection. So it says that in verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place in the scroll that was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus read these words, and then as was the custom, he sat down, and everyone waited for him to teach them something from the scripture he just read. Luke says the eyes in all the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. Now this passage that Jesus read was of great importance to the people of God. The words of Isaiah were all about deliverance from captivity. About a time back when the people of God were in exile, suffering under the iron fist of a foreign power known as Babylon. They were longing for a leader. They were longing for a king. They were longing for a Messiah to come and save them from Babylon's power. That's what Isaiah was promising. And maybe the people in the synagogue thought that Jesus would teach them that just like the people back in Isaiah's day were set free from Babylon, so too would they maybe one day be set free from the power of Rome. Maybe they expected Jesus to affirm that God's kingdom will come one day. That this king and leader and Messiah that promised to come and rule will come one day. But what does Jesus say? 
today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today this king has come. Today his kingdom has begun. Jesus is saying he is the one himself who's coming with good news for troubled people. That the year of the Lord's salvation has come upon them. Today this scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus is saying, people, I am the man of God that God promised to bring. And I will do this. I will set captives free and I will free the blind from their blindness. I will give relief to the oppressed. I will bring help to the poor because I am the anointed Messiah. This is an amazing first sermon recorded by Luke as he starts his gospel. Only a few words that are given by Jesus, but a wonderful message of hope and salvation. And as I said previously, this little teaching of Jesus in the synagogue to those in the synagogue and to you and me in this room offers us amazing, beautiful, hopeful truths of who Jesus is. And Jesus says in his teaching here, he's being anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor matter to God. And they matter to the reason why Jesus came. The poor are not simply those who are economically disadvantaged, which it is talking about that. But the poor is also those who might be destitute in other ways of life, who feel on the outside and alone. The poor are those that are marginalized and often excluded from human fellowship. Back then, the poor were the outcast outside the boundaries of God's people sometimes due to maybe their education status, their gender, their family history, their religious purity, their vocation, and so on. But here's the truth back then and the truth today. Jesus doesn't come to offer the good news to those who think they already have it. Jesus doesn't offer the good news to those who think we have it all together. Jesus offered the good news to those who know we are in need of God's mercy, to those who know we are poor and in need of help. That is when the good news meets us. In fact, one of Jesus' famous teachings that we'll look at at some point during this series, I'm sure, is found in the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins with these important words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins this passage in the uh, Sermon on the Mount saying, you need to know who you are before God. You are poor. You are needy. You do not have what it takes to be acceptable and good. And may we be humble about our needs and honest about our struggles in faith because we can't do it on our own. We don't have what it takes and we need help. And we not only don't have what it takes to be acceptable and good, but we are all captives to sin and sickness and brokenness. So we need Jesus to proclaim liberty to the captives because that is what we are and this is what he promises to do. We live in a fallen, broken world. We live in a world where it often seems like evil wins. We live in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be, where death and destruction are all around us. We're fighting between nations and people never ends. Where crime and violence never seems to take a break. Where pain and suffering never stops. I know you know this. And it is hard at times to hold on to truth and hope when we keep seeing the pain in our world. It is hard to have faith to believe that one day all things will be made right. It is hard to hold on to the promise of peace and the good news of liberty to the captives. But this is why Jesus came And this is the good news of the gospel. 
The good news is that God's kingdom of peace has begun. That Jesus has begun making all things new. That's what he did starting in that synagogue. That his kingdom has begun. The reign of power and liberty in the year of the Lord's favor has begun. And this is good news for us for sure. It is good news that we have the captivity and we're set free. Not just from the evil and the problems of this world. Which one day we will be set free completely from. But as well... We need to be set free from our own evil and sin that consumes us. We live in a world where we feel trapped by sin and brokenness. If you are like me, and I believe you are, we try and we try and we try, and often we cannot break free from the sin that so easily entangles us. But this promise of freedom here in Isaiah that Jesus says began in his ministry is a promise of freedom from sin. Freedom from the brokenness and the spiritual blindness that we often have to our sin. When Jesus says that he's fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy to heal the blind and give them sight, it isn't just the physical blind that he healed, which he definitely did, and we saw that in our last sermon series. But as well, he promises to help us see our sins and help remove our spiritual blindness to our need for forgiveness. And this is good news. This is marvelous words of hope and grace that Jesus offers. And so the response of the synagogue crowd in verse 22 should be our response as well. And all spoke well of Jesus and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Now the response of the crowd was good and right, but we're going to see in their actions that they did not match the words they're saying. Because like I said, the expectations of what Jesus promised We're not being met. And so the crowd had a hard time. They loved and marveled at the gracious message Jesus gave, but the true purpose and plan of Jesus was missed by them, so they wanted nothing to do with him in the end. We see this, first of all, the fact that they begin asking the question, is this not Joseph's son? Don't we know this guy? Don't we know his family? Now, maybe they were just marveling at the skill of the carpenter's son. We don't know if this question was asked in a good way, a positive way, or a negative way. But how Jesus responds makes me think that they're misunderstanding Jesus, and it was more negative than positive. See, Jesus knows what's rising up into the hearts of his listeners. He knows what they really want is not the words that he's saying, but the signs and wonders that they've heard he's done before. What this crowd wants is miracles. They want to have Jesus put on a show. And so Jesus quotes this proverb, which is a little confusing on what exactly he's meaning by the physician heal himself. But then he makes clear what he's saying by revealing what was in the minds of these people before him. Jesus says out loud what the people were thinking. And we read this in this passage. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well, the crowds want. See, Jesus came to proclaim the good news of God's salvation, but all the people want is wondrous deeds that would wow and impress them. Wondrous deeds Jesus would give them because they deserve it. And it's good to ask ourselves if this might be our attitude at times as well. It is good to ask, do we sometimes expect Jesus to meet our needs because we deserve it? I think we do. I know at times I do. I don't like it, but I sometimes feel like 
because of what I've given up, because of what I've done, because of how I'm living my life. I deserve more than others. And I resent when I see Jesus moving in the lives of others in a different way than he moves in my life. And I think sometimes we, like this crowd, we want the show and the power and the signs and wonders more than we actually want to listen to the words of Jesus. Because i got to tell you, the words of Jesus are hard at times. His call in our lives is not always what we like or would want to do. If Jesus is the promised Messiah King that he claims to be, which he is, then he has a claim in our lives. And it's not always easy and comfortable to follow him. And so subtly, or not so subtly, we reject this call. And we need these words that Jesus gives to the crowd in verse 24 because they are words to us as well. Jesus says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now when you see these words, truly I say to you in the Gospels, and you see them throughout the Gospels, it's a way of saying, watch out, get ready, something important is about to be said. Now Jesus uses truly I say to you six times in the Gospel of Luke. Places like when he's on the cross and the thief asks him for salvation, and Jesus says, truly I say to you, you will be in my kingdom today. He says, truly I say to you, when he's talking about how we need to be like little children to enter into the kingdom. Jesus says, truly I say to you, and then he teaches about leaving everything behind to follow him. Those make sense to me. But why does he say it here? What's so important about the words of the prophets not being accepted by their hometown that matter to you and me today? Well, I think this was a problem in the people of God that we find ourselves having the same problem as well. The synagogue members did not like to hear this, but more often than not, they rejected the prophets of old. The problem was that Israel thought, because of their special relationship with God, it didn't matter what they did or didn't do. God would again and again bring prophets to call the people to repentance, and they would reject those words. And listen, it is good that God calls us to things, and he calls us to a life of repentance. It is good that God has done for us in grace what we need to respond to this call of obedience. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is in Titus 2. And when Paul is challenging how he should teach Titus to encourage the people to live obedient lives, he says, this is how it's going to help them live lives pleasing to God. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and live self-controlled godly lives. Grace is what trains us to live according to the ways that God calls us to live. And we fail at this all the time. And so it's good that each week we confess our sins to remind ourselves that even if we have a special relationship with God, we fail at times to love God and love our neighbors. And God knows this. And our rejection of Jesus as our teacher and our prophet and calling us to obedience caused him to ultimately be rejected on the cross because of our failures and sin. And the good news is that unlike the crowds who deny this reality or who are angry with this call, we can respond with thanksgiving and humility for the truth of this, that no matter how much we reject Jesus, which we all do at times, he will never reject us if we are in him and believe his gospel. I absolutely love the stories Jesus points to at, his, at the end of our passage that points to the reality of God and our standing before him. 
Jesus is an amazing teacher, and so he illustrates his point in an amazing way. Jesus first mentions that there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, and there was a great famine, but Elijah came and was only sent to one person, a Gentile woman who was a widow. Then Jesus mentions that there were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha, but Elijah only went and healed one, a non-Jew who was named Naaman. Now, what do these two stories point to, and what's Jesus' point in this? Well, both stories point to the amazing display of grace offered to all. Jesus' point about these two prophets of old is that they went to the outcast, they went to the unclean, they went to those that were not a part of Israel and provided healing. These two prophets of Israel offered grace not just to their own, but to the outsider, to two who in the synagogue would surely be considered unclean, unworthy, and unacceptable. The widow and the leper got what the religious, righteous, clean, acceptable folks in the synagogue thought they deserved. These two stories are a beautiful picture of God's kingdom and good news to the poor, liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, and freedom to the oppressed. Perhaps we need to repent of our pride that we think we're worthy of this and that we're better than those outside our walls. These two stories are an amazing picture of the gospel, and I would encourage you to read, especially about the starving widow in 1 Kings 17 this week. I mean, she had nothing, and she knew it. And that was where God met her through Elijah. She was hopeless and had no resources to save herself and her son, and that was when God showed up. She was desperately poor and helpless, and she knew it. One of the things Jesus is teaching here in our passage that we need to see in ourselves is we must accept our poverty and our hopelessness without Jesus. We must believe that we are the helpless. We are the unclean like this leper, and we can't be clean without Jesus. May we believe that in and of ourselves we are poor, captive, and blind and oppressed, and yet Jesus meets us as our Messiah. May this teaching of Jesus encourage us to follow him with our hearts and with our worship and with our lives. May we marvel at the grace of Jesus today and may it motivate us to go and love and serve God's people because of all that God has done for us through our Messiah, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, may we hear these words of grace and may they encourage us and challenge us and provide all that we need to love you with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, may we show grace to others that don't deserve it because you show grace to us and we don't deserve it. And may we rest not in our ability and in our righteousness and in how well we do Christianity for you, but may we rest in Jesus and Jesus alone as our Messiah and the one who sets us free from all our captivity and sin. In your holy name. Amen.